Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with Dr. Christian George on the life of Charles Spurgeon. I mean, he read the Bible. You know, you cut Spurgeon, he bleeds the Bible. I, I think getting in the Word, putting it into your memory and your mind, you know, spending less time on social media and more time in God's holy, precious Word, man, that'll change you. And he did that a lot. I also think, he, you know, he kept a diary. He kept a journal of God's faithfulness in his life. And so those two things, Bible reading and daily journaling, I think they can change the world. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, biographies can be some of the most powerful tools to bring about inspiration and sort of change in my life. You know, I can think of two books that were biographies that I read last year that made such an imprint on my life. One was called The God Smuggler. Uh, some of you have heard of it. It was written by Brother Andrew. Um, and, you know, he was a missionary in the kind of beyond the Iron Curtain in the 20th century. Just a fascinating read to hear about, you know, how God worked through this man's life. And the other biography was on the life of George Mueller. It was actually an autobiography because the whole book was just journal entries pretty much. So George Mueller led an orphanage ministry in England and was just, again, such a good example of someone who believed in and practiced prayer and just relied on God's faithfulness and God's provision. Anyways, I say this because I want to hopefully encourage us to, uh, you know, before this week's conversation, because we talk with Dr. Christian George on the life, about the life of Charles Spurgeon. We're doing a short two-week series on two historical figures this week and next week. And even having the chance to look specifically at these historical figures, their, their young adult or teenage years. So this week is Charles Spurgeon, and next week is Lady Jane Gray. You know, this sort of biographical look at their lives can definitely encourage us in our faith. But before we jump in, I want to thank anyone listening who joined in uh, for our in-doubt live stream Bible study through Romans, which ended just two weeks ago. Dr. John Newfeld from Back to the Bible Canada graciously joined us and taught us a general overview of Romans 1 through 11. Now, if you're interested in checking it out, you can always head to our Facebook page, just search in doubt on Facebook, scroll down and you will find the live stream posts. But in the near future, we'll actually have a product uh, with John's teaching as well for you. But anyways, let's get into the life of Charles Spurgeon with Dr. Christian George. With me today is Dr. Christian George. Christian is an author and a professor. He actually serves as assistant professor of historical theology, and he's curator of the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So thanks so much for being here today, Christian. Thanks, Isaac. Um, you know, before we kind of look into the life of uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, why don't you first just tell us a bit about who, who you are, uh, just a little bit personal, maybe something interesting about you, and then also what you do day by day. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 35 years old. I was born in 1981 in Louisville, Kentucky. My dad was a professor at Southern Seminary way back in the day. And so I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, Christian family. When I was eight years old, uh, Isaac, I really felt God pulling me to himself. And I could, I still remember what that feels like, just this burning and yearning for, for Christ. And so uh, so over the course of high school and college, I just fell in love with, with the Savior in, in a million ways. I went to Sanford University. I was an art major there, so dr drawing portraits all day. And, uh, and then God pulled me into the ministry, just full, full force. And so I started preaching, and um, eventually that led into a passion for Charles Spurgeon, you know, this great prince of preachers, as, as they call him, uh, went 
did my MDiv at Beeson Divinity School, and then I went over to Scotland. So my wife and I basically sold everything we, we've ever owned. You know, we sold our car, and we, we went to North Scotland, man, for three very cold but blessed years. And uh, yeah, and then after that, I was hired um, at OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And then three years later, uh, I was asked to come curate the Spurgeon Library in Kansas City, where I currently am going on my fourth year. That's awesome. That's so good. Now, you say that, uh, you know, you you're, you started to get interested in who Spurgeon was, but was there something, an event or something you read that really just captured your mind at first when it came to Spurgeon? Well, you know, he has this little devotional called Morning and Evening, and it's just a very simple devotional, a, mo- a morning message and an evening message. And uh, I went to England with my father. He took me to all the great places where Spurgeon lived. And so the, co- the combination, you know, of those two things, like traveling to see where Spurgeon preached and then reading, you know, it, it just was amazing. And so I fell in love with Spurgeon. That's awesome. That's so good. Uh, well, you know, the, the majority of this conversation is really maybe not a conversation because I just want to hear from you. Um, I, I really just want to give the next kind of little good chunk of time in, a, in our short conversation, I guess, um, just to give us a basic kind of life story of Charles Spurgeon. So if someone's never heard of this, you know, Prince of Preachers, as you say, uh, who, who was he and what, what did he do? Yeah, a lot of people have never heard the name Charles Spurgeon. There you go, yeah. We're trying to change that at the library for sure. But So he was born in 1834. In fact, if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, I don't know if you watched that show, but... I have, yeah. Uh, like, so Maggie, you know, the, the older um, duchess, I mean, she would have been a little girl and she could have heard Spurgeon preach. So that's kind of the time frame we're working in. Okay. I mean, look, so he was a megachurch pastor before megachurches were ever popular. Uh, he was converted as a teenager at the age of 16. He fell in love with Christ. He starts preaching the gospel in the middle of nowhere. Like he's a, he's a teenager preaching in this country little church, and it swells from about 30 people to almost 450 people in three years. Oh, my goodness. And then, of course, London gets word that there's this young preacher, and he's energetic, and he's on fire for Christ. They invite him to London, and really, at the age of 19 and 20, he goes viral. So, um, I mean, he was the most popular person of his day by 22, 23, eventually published more sermons, you know, in in English, more words in English than any Christian in history. And uh, he founded 66 ministries like an orphanage and man, he just loved people. You know what I was going to say, when you say he went viral, um, you know, for a lot of us, you know, when we think viral, we think, uh, you know, a 20-second a, a clip on, on, like, YouTube or Facebook. So right. what, what does viral look like? Yeah, you there know, was no Facebook then? in the Victorian No, of era, course, of sure. course, right? You know, but there was the printing press. Right. And all these sermons circulated around the world. I mean, people like in San Francisco and Colorado were reading Spurgeon sermons. Uh, everybody wanted to hear him preach. Like Mark Twain, he goes to the tabernacle and hears Spurgeon preach. You know, the 20th president of the United States goes, you know, goes to London, John D. Rockefeller. So really anyone who is anyone in Spurgeon's day would have wanted to go hear the gospel preach from the, from the lips of this kid. That's amazing. Yeah. So his whole, I guess, life then was just devoted to being a, a pastor and preacher, correct? You know, he burned all of his calories preaching, pastoring, but you, but, you, but you know what? A lot of people don't know this. You know, he was worth somewhere around 100 million pounds, like 100 million dollars, and yet he died poor because he personally funneled most of his money into starting 66 ministries. And so, you know, he incarnated the gospel in a way that his world needed. Right. Yeah. No, that's really good. Now, obviously, when someone hears this, they think, okay, wow, here, here he is. He, uh, in a sense, in this light of 
per- perfection in a sense. Um, could you shed light on some of his areas of maybe struggle? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's very easy to think he's bulletproof. Right. You know, there's nothing that can hurt Spurgeon. But listen, man, he could bleed. He could bleed like all of us. He suffered from depression, um, maybe bipolarity. He's always up and down. Uh, he almost took his life once early in his teenage years just because he's wrestling with guilt and sin. And so uh, I, I really like his early teenage years probably the best because here's this young man. I mean, he's wrestling with pride. He called it his darling sin. He tried to get rid of it. And uh, I think that's true for many of us, you know, today. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Um, now, you kind of mentioned a little bit there, but do we do we know anything quite specific about his kind of teenage young adult years? Like, does he write about that? Yeah, he has an autobiography. We know a lot about his young teenage years. You know, he, so he was raised by his grandfather because his parents were so poor, they couldn't even take care of him. And, uh, you know, he's wrestling, Isaac. He's wrestling with, you know, what do I do with my life? Where, where am I going to throw my weight, you know? And you know, speaking of weight, he was 5'4", about 300 pounds, so he had some weight certainly <laughs> to, to throw. But, you know, the Lord right. <laughs> pulled him into the, into the ministry of preaching and pastoring and shepherding people as such a young, you know, teenager. I mean, just imagine this 17-year-old preaching with fire and oxygen and grace. And it really changed, uh, it changed uh, you know, early Cambridge and it eventually changed the world. Yeah. Now, you have written, or you're in the process of writing a book on the lost sermons of Spurgeon, correct? Yes, it's going to be 12 volumes. Uh, The volume one came out last year. Volume two is about to come out, I think, next week, actually. And so these are his early teenage sermons. You know, when I was in, you know, I was in London, I discovered um, the stack of notebooks and just felt God calling me to to publish these, you know, for his glory. And so we've been busy, man, burning our calories, but God's been faithful and he's helping us. That's so good. Now, it's interesting, you know, you, you obviously have uh, been, I guess you say, say formally in the ministry for a while now and uh, all that kind of stuff. So when you look at these sermons that Spurgeon wrote when he was, you know, under 20 years old, um, compared to the sermons that he wrote when, you know, when he was older, um, did you see, do you see lots of differences in theology changing or, or what is, how does that kind of look when you look at his young adult kind of sermons? Yeah, his theology basically remains the same from the beginning to the end, but the way he preached, I mean, he comes out of the gate swinging. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, you know, he said a preacher, as preachers, we don't go snowballing on Sunday, you know, we're tossing grenades at the enemy. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so here's this young grenade tossing preacher. Now, it's amazing. You know, one sermon particularly in volume one, sermon 14, changed my life. So several years ago, I was very sick, almost passed away from a ruptured appendix. And 12 months, man, of surgeries and just pain and recovery. Have, you know, there was one line from sermon 14, God's grace given to us, that, that I just kept turning over in my mind and really brought me back from the dead. And it says this, Spurgeon said, Think much on grace, Christian. Think much on grace. And that, that, was a, that was one line, you know, I think very often God doesn't use a whole book to change someone's life, just a single, simple sentence. And that one certainly did mine. That's awesome. And it kind of plays on the double, double meaning too, because your name, obviously, and the fact of who you are. So that, that's actually awesome. Um, Christian, I wanted to kind of do this uh, for fun, and I want to give you some historical liberty here. And, you know, as a, as, as a church historian, really... Maybe you love to hear that you get to take some historical liberty here. So you can have that. Um, could you imagine some things that Spurgeon may have been up to at various times in his young adult life? And the reason I ask this is just to paint a picture of his devotion, of his activities, things like that. 
Um, so okay, so let's try this. So wh- what what do you think? Let's say at a, on a, at a seven a.m. on a Tuesday. Seven a.m. on a Tuesday, Spurgeon would have been up already several hours. You know, he once said, "I wish it could be said of us that we wasted neither an hour of our time nor an hour of other people's time." So so the kid got up early. And he preached 12 times a week, man. I mean, he's... 12 times a week? 12 t- different sermon every time in his early life. He's burning his calories for Christ. You know, he's not Netflixing his day away. <laughs> right. No, I understand that. Okay, so Christian, help us out here, though. The, the thought of 12 sermons a week uh, and each one a different sermon... Were, Okay, it, does he get any sleep? Does he does he hang out? Does he have a, does he have friends that he sees? <laughs> no, he does have friends most certainly, but most of the time, you know, in his very young life, when everybody else was playing outside, he was reading books. Man, he was reading John Bunyan. You know, it's a, I think it's a reminder for us, you know, that 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 the past has something to tell the present about how to go into the future. And so Spurgeon pulled the momentum from the past and the wisdom, and so he's often found himself, uh, you know, in the library reading books. Um, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And just as a side note too, um, when I've read uh, Spurgeon or I've read about Spurgeon, uh, something, and maybe you can shed light on this, here's this just mammoth preacher and theologian and just, you know, preaching these incredible truths. But at the same time, it's not like he's sort of just all head sort of murmuring, just really intellectual sentences. You can really see this intense like fire and passion and almost a a charisma uh, that comes out of him. Yes, I mean, it's so intimate. Absolutely, man. I mean, you read his works. Even right now, if you picked up Morning and Evening this morning, man, you'd read his works, and it's like he's sitting right next to you whispering the gospel in your ear. That's so good. Uh, He loses very little, I think, over time, and that's probably one reason he's the most tweeted dead person on the Internet. You know what I mean? I mean, at least as far as the Christian world goes— uh, of course, don't forget he had a photographic memory, so he never forgot anything. And that probably helped him with those 12 sermons a week, I imagine. I bet, I bet. You know, it's interesting just to kind of continue this thought. Um, I, I sort of, when I look around at this sort of general Christian um, landscape, especially North America, it seems like there's this attitude, um, and this is very general, I'm not making any uh, statements, but it seems like there's this general kind of idea where in order to be kind of, you know, uh, passionate and charismatic and all these things, you sort of have to throw away some of the, um, you know, the hard doctrines and all that kind of stuff because right. that's just for the academics. But we need to, like, be passionate and go out there. But what we see in Spurgeon, which I find so fascinating, I want to encourage listeners as well, is that Spurgeon sort of really helps model the life of, of both. There's like this in, in intense uh, theology and, you know, he was a bookworm and everything like that. But at the same time, he was able to uh, just preach with such, uh, such charisma. Yeah, I mean, he didn't cut corners when it comes to his theological convictions. In fact, you know, the gospel has an edge to it, Isaac. Right, right. And, and, <laughs> right, you, yeah. and you start sandpapering that edge off and buffing it out and waxing it up. I mean, you lose the cutting ability of, of the word that the Christ then comes in and heals. And so, no, Spurgeon never compromised, you know, on that. And yet he preached for souls, man. His, his best book is called The Soul Winner. That's what he was. That's awesome. That's so good. All right, so 8 p.m. on a Friday, where would, what would young adult Spurgeon be doing? You know, we have a new website called Spurgeon.org, very simply, okay. Spurgeon.org. And so I posted a blog, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, on how Spurgeon scheduled his week. Oh, that's awesome. And so at 7 p.m. on a Friday, at least when, he, when he's in London, he's in a business meeting. 
He's just lectured for about two and a half hours to his students. He's discipling and mentoring his his students. And then he goes to a business meeting after the lecture. So he stayed up quite late. That's awesome. That's so good. Um, And maybe we'll be able to find this out on your article, which I I can link to this episode page as well. But, uh, you know, 3 p.m. on a Sunday, I would imagine he would be at church in the morning. But what would he be doing then? 3 p.m. on a Sunday, he's preparing for his evening message. You know, he only took about 10 to 15 minutes to prepare his message. Wow. Um, you know, his whole life was sermon prep. He never forgot anything. And he speaks in such a language that common people can understand. Man, that's why kids can just fall in love with Spurgeon, you know, because he's not so sophisticated. I mean, he incarnates the gospel with simple language. That's one reason I really love him. That's awesome. Um, Christian, what's one thing Spurgeon did or believed, you can choose out of the two, um, as a young adult that you just think would really highly benefit uh, young adults today? Yeah, just one? (laughs) Yeah, or or a couple. You know, share some more. Yeah, Yeah, go for it. Well, let me just go back. I mean, he read the Bible. You know, you cut Spurgeon, he bleeds the Bible. I think getting in the Word, putting it into your memory and your mind, you know, spending less time on social media and more time in God's holy, precious Word, man, that'll change you. And he did that a lot. I also think, he, you know, he kept a diary. He kept a journal of God's faithfulness in his life. And so those two things, Bible reading and daily journaling, I think they can change the world. That, that's awesome. That's really good. Um, okay, so again, if I can give you some more liberty here, uh, and this is sort of even mixing in some sci-fi. Um, if Spurgeon had the opportunity just for a moment, maybe just for a day, to kind of come in to the future, to our time today, and he just had the experience of looking at the North American Evangelical Church, um, what do you think he'd say? Like, what things do you think he would look at as negative? What things would he see positively? Yeah. It's a, gr- it's a great question. Um, I think four very quick things. I think number one is we need to pray more. You know, no great movement of God happens with, without prayer. I think two, you know, Spurgeon never sought the stage. You know, he never wanted to be in the spotlight. He believed that faithfulness to God is more important than success. And so I think that's a word for all of us. I think number three would be discipleship. You know, he took around him... Um, you know, some young students and really poured his life into them. And I think the final thing, um, it might be a bit edgy, but um, to risk it all, to risk everything. One of his favorite authors was William Carey, missionary to India. William, you know, William Carey once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So if God is with you, if God is in your heart, if he is, if he is thriving through his Holy Spirit in your life, take a leap. Risk it all, and Christ will catch you. And that was Spurgeon's experience, and that's been mine as well. That's really good. You know, your, your first point there, talking about prayer, um, you know, I forget the exact quote. I'm just going to paraphrase it, but I think it was David Platt who said that we will be the, you know, generation of Christians who um, are not known for our prayer, mm. uh, but are known for our, you know, gathering and conferences and and things like that. Will be that generation know that man? They got together a lot, which is great. That's good, right. but we won't be known for our prayer. And as you said that, I'm like, man, that's so that's so true. I think Spurgeon can help us change that, Isaac. That's my prayer, brother. That's good. That's so good. Um, you know, for people, we didn't really go into this, and I mean, you, we could spend many conversations talking more about different aspects of his life, but. Uh, there were a couple sort of big events that happened in Spurgeon's life. I, I think about the time of the um, the crowd at the, I, I could be wrong, but it was at a big 
kind of church in Surrey, a big church. Yeah, the Surrey and Garden Music Hall disaster. That's right. Yeah, and he was quite young at this time, wasn't he? He's 22. His wife was still nursing his twin sons. A balcony collapses. He, you know, he passes out off the stage. Seven people die. I mean, he falls into such a depression that it's amazing. Right then, his ministry didn't end, but God did restore him. But that was a major milestone in his ministry. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. You know, it, it's important though because I think a lot of people, even nowadays, they they go through some tragic event sort of thing, and it, it really does sort of, um, and sometimes they can kind of make an excuse to sort of go down another road because of this event that's happened. But I mean, obviously, we see in Spurgeon's life that he, you know, despite the challenges, he still pushed through, and the Lord saw him through. And that was one of the secrets, I think, of his ministry. You know, Spurgeon preached to broken people out of his own brokenness. I love this quote. He says, you know, the storm has a bit in its mouth. You know, it doesn't take God by surprise any of this. In fact, God is using it. He's using it to drive us closer to him in so many ways. And for Spurgeon, that was very much true. Yeah, no, that that's really good. Um, now, you know, when someone reads about Spurgeon, they won't get very far about hearing about this thing called the downgrade controversy. Now, when I bring that up, it's like, okay, again, this could be a, a, a huge thing, but can you t- share with us a little bit about what that is or was? Yeah, so at the end of his life, I mean, Spurgeon really died on two hills, the hill of Jesus Christ and the hill of Scripture. You know, in his day, so many theological tenets of orthodoxy fell out of fashion. So people, you know, believe Christ didn't do miracles, that he wasn't really God, you know. And, and so Spurgeon's context, you know, the union, the Baptist union he was in, started to kind of go in that direction. And Spurgeon put his anchor down and he said, no, we believe in the full humanity and divinity of Christ. And so he pulls his, his church, which was the largest in the world, out of this union, which massively sparks this controversy, which eventually killed him at the age of 57. Yeah, see, that's amazing. But I think what that shows, though, is that because of his faithfulness to the Word, his faithfulness to Jesus, I mean, these things that might look externally and from the greater Christian sort of church uh, might look as, whoa, you're, you're make, this is going to be bad for your reputation. He said, I don't care. I'm faithful to the Word and to Jesus. Absolutely, it was. Yeah, that's very good. Um, for as we wrap up now, Christian, um, for a young adult who's you know heard this and they're sort of inspired now to dig a little bit more into uh, who Spurgeon is, um, is there a a right? I mean, you mentioned morning and evening, but would you recommend uh, a, a maybe a sermon, a specific sermon or a book that kind of would be a good uh, introduction? Yeah. So I mean, Spurgeon preached a sermon, probably one of his best sermons, on two little words in the Bible: Jesus wept. Jesus wept from John. And so that's one of my favorite sermons. I can't read it without weeping myself. Um, And so, you know, one of the things we want to do is not just look to Spurgeon. We want to look through Spurgeon to Jesus Christ. Um, And so sermons like that uh, point us to the Savior. And it shows us, I think, when Jesus Christ is in the very center of our lives, Isaac, it's only then that our lives can be truly centered. Right. That's so good. I love that. You know, you mentioned Spurgeon.org. Could you sort of explain a little bit about what the purpose of Spurgeon.org is and then what uh, we can find on that site? Yeah, so this is, you know, the largest collection of resources of Spurgeon on the internet. And uh, the good people at Desiring God and some other people have kind of helped us uh, get this off the ground. Basically, I blog twice a week on Charles Spurgeon. Uh, but but also we're scanning, you know, 6,000 of his own books into the collection. The Puritans, all these great dead people we all should be reading. And so we'll have all of his sermons there. We'll have updates. And uh, we're excited about it. Pray for us. 
Yeah, no, definitely. That's so good, Christian. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this was great. Um, if, you're, if you're listening and, and Christian has sort of made uh, Spurgeon uh, seem interesting to you, um, I'd encourage you to check out the Spurgeon Center, and that's at Spurgeon.org, S-P-U-R-G-E-O-N.org. Uh, super simple. Uh, there you're going to find, like Christian just said, many resources for you to get started on learning more about uh, Charles Spurgeon. And um, if people are interested in your your volumes of these lost sermons, how can they uh, get access to those? Yeah, they're they're on Amazon. They're in bookstores, um, just about anywhere. You just Google the lost sermons of Charles Spurgeon, and you'll find it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian. I hope to chat with you again. Thanks, Isaac. God bless. That was Dr. Christian George talking to us about the life of Charles Spurgeon, hopefully encouraging you to find out more about him. But as Christian said, you know, which I thought was really cool, uh, we ought not to look at Spurgeon, but look through Spurgeon to Jesus. Again, you can just head to Spurgeon.org to find out more. Hey, and by the way, uh, last week I I said that we had this Bible study in Romans, our last one, on Thursday, October 19th, but obviously we had already passed October 19th. Uh, That was just an accident, so I apologize for that. Um, If you do go to our Facebook page, though, you can scroll down and see some of the live stream posts from the Bible study series with Dr. John Newfeld in Romans. And in probably the next few weeks, I'll be able to give some information on how you can access the post-production, you know, kind of resource of the Roman study. But anyways, I just wanted to say I'm sorry about that. Hey, I wanted to thank everyone who helped out with our ratings and reviews on iTunes. Again, if you haven't uh, yet done that, I'd really encourage you to do so. The, The more ratings and reviews we get, the more likely our show is to show up on people's radar. So again, if you're listening on one of the 10 radio stations across Canada, I'd still encourage you to rate and review In Doubt on iTunes when you get the chance. Some of the reviews are quite helpful and informative. In fact, all of them are. Uh, For instance, one listener writes this, In Doubt discusses topics through a biblical lens thoroughly, starting from a beginner's standpoint to in-depth explanations. There's always something for everyone to learn. So thanks for the review, if that was you. Um, Another listener wrote this, This podcast features topics that are relevant and thought-provoking for the young Christian. Guests often invoke scripture into answers and provide meaningful insight. The verbal agreement by host in between guests' sentences is somewhat distracting for the listener. And you know, I'm actually really, really happy that this listener was honest about that. That's what reviews are for. Uh, And you know what? Because of this review, I'm really going to try extra hard not to keep saying yes, mm mm-hmm, and oh, while our guest is speaking. So thank you so much for being honest. We take that very seriously. Myself and the rest of the team want to benefit Christian young adults. And the way we can most effectively do that is by hearing from you. What's working? What's not working? What's helpful? What's unhelpful? What's leading you towards Christ? What's not leading you towards Christ? Uh, You can connect with us online and talk to us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can always email us at hello at indoubt.com. Hello at indoubt.com. Or if you're that amazing and courageous and bold, you could always call us and just chat with us at 1-800-663-2425. And if you're interested in making a donation to InDoubt, since InDoubt is completely fueled by people who believe in our mission, you can do that by simply clicking the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. The mission of InDoubt is to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we all face every single day 
cultivating conversation. You see, our podcasts, our articles, our Bible studies, all of this is given to everyone for free. So we really do rely on the generous funds of donors uh, across this country and around the world as well. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we hear from Dr. Michael Haken on the life of Lady Jane Grey. See you then. In Doubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.